Amen. Thank you, Jack. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. I pray you've had a great morning. Or if it's been a challenging one, you're here nonetheless, and you are through it. Um, I kind of laugh about that because that's my testimony right now. People know that we're leaving quite soon and saying, how are you feeling? I'm like, manic. There is a million things, but I know I'll get through it. And when I get there, I'm going to rest and sit down. But sometimes you just got to get through the heat of it all. And so, but here we are this morning. So whether it's been a calm morning or a hectic morning, we're through it. We're here we're seated, and we want to hear from the word of the Lord. We have been, well, now just two weeks. We've just started a new series on testimony. If you were here last week, you would have heard us talk about this new series, looking at encounters with Jesus, which then instigate and create a testimony. A testimony is just a report on what you've seen, and you go out and tell somebody. We all do that naturally. Just last week, it was my daughter's 10th birthday. She's gone. I was going to say happy birthday to her, but she's already away. We, and we said, what can we do? She likes movies, and she likes action. So we went to Edinburgh and saw one of these new 4DX movies. Has anybody here seen a 4DX movie? It is surreal. It is a different experience. In fact, you can save your 3,000 pounds and all the travel of going to Disney World and go to a 4DX. They are wild. You are bouncing and flying and there's stuff being thrown at you and water and light and wind. And I was exhausted at the end of the movie. I probably won't do it again, but I recommend everybody do it once. So that's my testimony. Go see a 4DX movie, whether it's Maverick or Jurassic Park or something and buckle up. It is wild. That's a testimony. It's just a story of something you've experienced, but it was so impactful that you got to get it out. It's kind of that word vomit that just got to come. You know, you see somebody, you're like, have you done this? Have you experienced this? Have you seen this? That's testimony. That's what we're talking about. Encounters with Jesus that so impact you in such a way that you have to tell somebody. This is our second week, and today we're talking about resurrection. We're going to look at the gospel of Luke as we are through all of these weeks and different interactions. And this is Jesus' interaction with the widow at Nairn, found in Luke 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip them open, and it's also going to come on the screen. But the widow at Nairn, and this is Luke chapter 7, verse 11, and you can follow along. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nairn, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. And began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. Amen. Jesus visits a widow in her distress. Raises her son to life. And in that moment, testimony spreads. 
to the glory of God. It is life from death. Here in this miraculous account of literal resurrection. But as Christians, we understand that resurrection touches all of us. I haven't seen a literal resurrection. Not yet. But I've seen many. From my friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ. Seated all throughout here in this room. There are stories of resurrection. Stories of life from death. Stories of encounters with Jesus with one touch from the Savior, which changed the life forever. It is a story that when told can impact the life of another for the glory of God. We're gonna do that just now. I'm gonna invite my friend John to come forward and John's gonna share a short story of how God has touched his life from death to life. Why don't we welcome John to the front. Praise God. It's just a, a great opportunity to share uh, about this Jesus, you know, about this amazing God we serve. Um, I wish I was as confident as Chris or Ian to look you in the eye and give it all that, hey guys. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not really that, you know, great. Uh, uh, I'm not as fluid as that or as practiced as that. So I've written some stuff down, so be patient with me. Um, I'm just going to share a bit about uh, my testimony um, and, and well, got, so it's going to be quite scripted, so I'll try and look at you now and again. Um, the way in which I want to share testimony today is uh, not so much to go back into the detail of every part of my life, but to more present to you a panoramic picture of the mystery, the depth, the faithfulness of God's love in my life. So let me start by declaring to you um, that we are bought with a great, great price, that we are loved with an amazing, unbelievable, wonderful love that we cannot comprehend. Um, and it, it, it's a mystery, you know, this kind of love. And it says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that's you and I, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That's truth. As I said a moment ago, I'm not going to go into every detail in my life. Some of you know my testimony um, from the past. Some of you don't, because I don't want to isolate some of you. Um, you maybe feel you can't connect to it. Um, you know, some of those past struggles and addictions, uh, and I don't want to, you know, just appeal to some of you who can. Um, but I want to say this, that no matter what your story, privileged, deprived, addicted, loveless, if you look back in your life, and you're sitting here today, you have a resurrection story. And I want to say that also includes those people here who don't yet know Jesus personally, controversially. You see, before I was baptized by the Holy Spirit in a small house in Craigie in August of 1996, I had many resurrections. Many awakening moments in my life and my heart and mind where God was making himself real to me, pursuing me, chasing me. Where a sunset revealed its beauty on a hard day. Where death and destruction seemed to almost touch me, but escape or luck helped me evade disaster. Where the kindness and intervention of another carried me when I could go no further on my own. 
all moments were for a single moment the smog was gone and lifted and I was being sparked from the inside by this God who I didn't yet know. Resurrection means to revitalize or revive something to become alive. And I wish I could stand here today and tell you that when I asked Jesus into my heart and prayed the sinner's prayer, that I was changed. I wish I could say to you that when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and was changed, (laughs) that I didn't fall into sin or make some really bad choices. I wish I could say to you that when I came to Christianity and the other resurrected beautiful people in the church helped me become more resurrected, but sometimes I hurt them and they hurt me. I wish I could tell you that I had no dark night of the soul or weariness of the heart to the point of exhaustion. I wish I could say that as a church changed with the culture and some things became unrecognizable to me that I was at peace about our progressive advancements. I wish I could say that when science projected its theoretical frameworks that I didn't doubt. And I wish I could say that when I saw and experienced suffering beyond anything that makes sense that I didn't judge God, but I did. And I experienced all of these things, even as a Christian. In today's scripture, we see the heart of Jesus touched by the suffering of a mother grieving for her lost son. We see his compassion and willingness to give life. We see his willingness to reach into the darkest of places and still the storms. And today, he's still stilling the storms and sees our hearts today. The funny thing, or should I say the sad thing about church or the way we live our Christian life is that we have this idea that we can hide, that no one can see us sometimes, that no one really knows. Certainly not little trivial me. And then we suffer and we drift away in silence and isolation. My testimony to you today is that at times I feel I've failed God more than anyone. That I squandered my life at times and hurt his heart more than anyone. I'm sure some people may may be able to relate to that today, maybe not. Yet despite that, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus rose from the dead. Or that one day we will have resurrected bodies. Thank goodness for that. Um, And there is no doubt that despite my doubts, failings, fears, troubles, that the mystery of this love that the Father has given us through Jesus will shine through. That the power and mystery of the cross has continued to resurrect me all of these times again and again and again and again and again. All I have to do I've realized to surrender and trust him. I suppose that you might be asking yourself, where do I need a touch from Jesus in my life? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the resurrected King of Kings. He's a lover of the brokenhearted. He's God's answer to this dying world. He'll walk through you. He walks with you through the swamps through the good times and through the hard. This is a love that never fails and he hasn't finished 
with you yet. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John, honestly, for the, the honest testimony, the willingness to come up, to kind of bear soul in front of others. It's a hard thing to do, but it's a good thing to do, to share testimony, but messy testimony. That what, that's what resurrection is. Resurrection is honest and raw and messy, but good and wonderful. And has something about it to captivate the audience. That's what we're talking about today. This idea that testimony which comes from resurrection is the idea that resurrected lives are so captivating that you demand an audience as you speak. Internally, you're trembling and shaking and saying, who am I and what do I have to say the broken widow who was not herself a rabbi or a teacher or anything, but what she had to say would captivate audiences and crowds. People would come from miles to hear what she had to say. I would travel miles to hear what John has to say. We might not think that our story is powerful, but resurrected lives have an ability to capture someone's imagination, because it is so unlike everything in our world. It is the complete antithesis of all this broken world has to offer. It's something so compelling and wonderful that you gravitate towards it to say, I have to hear more. It's the gospel, which means good news. It is so good that Christians themselves have been motivated and moved by the gospel for centuries and have turned the world upside down because resurrection is that powerful. It's that wonderful. It's that good. It's the, the gossip power of the gospel. It travels like lightning. You can't stop it. It's too good. We know what gossip is. It's terrible, it's rotten. It's like biting into a decaying apple, but it moves quick. But when it's good news, in fact, it's so good, life-changing, resurrecting news, it splits through this world like lightning. It did with Jesus. He rose from the dead. It split across the whole Middle East, across the known world, and has changed us today. Resurrection is the most powerful story on this planet. And we need to understand as Christians how powerful and good that is. Our own story, your story, you might not think is that compelling, but let me assure you, Christian, it is. It's that good. It demands an audience. People will sit and listen to hear you tell a story how you have encountered Jesus has brought life where death once reigned. That a savior that saved your life will compel somebody to dial in and zero in and listen to every dripping word from your lips because it's so compelling. It's good 
It's the good news. It's the gospel. The good news and the gospel is something that we saw here with the widow at Nairn. But I want to draw out a few things here for the time that we have. Because the gospel is full and wonderful and in how it impacts us. It is good and glorious. And don't get me wrong because that's what I'm saying and I'm saying it loud. But resurrection also comes only after death. There is some painful heartbreak, decay, and death that comes before resurrection. Let's not miss where resurrection is coming from. So as Christians, as triumphant as we are, the Savior lives, he has conquered the grave, amen? Amen, it is a good thing. Christians, we have a good story to tell. But let's not forget that resurrection came after death. We don't want to be in death denial as Christians. We don't want to put the rose-tinted glasses on and pretend that nothing is broken and all is good and let's put on a happy face and clap all the time because there's nothing bad anywhere. No, as Christians, we acknowledge death. We acknowledge hurt and pain. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. It's there. In the story, we saw a widow, meaning her husband had died who then lost her only son, meaning she was all alone. Everything she had was gone. Life as she knew it was gone altogether, and she herself might as well have been buried with her son. Everything was gone. Everything she had hoped for, everything she had clung to, was ripped and torn and gone, and she was on her face in the dirt, weeping, because she had nothing. We as Christians don't turn a blind eye to that. We don't pretend that pain doesn't hit us in our gut, making us want to vomit to our core, bring us to our knees. We enter that and acknowledge pain exists. The devil is real. Sin has ravaged this world. Light comes after the darkness, but we acknowledge the darkness. We sit with those who weep. We sit in quiet solitude with them. Job's best counselors were those who said nothing. They acknowledged his hurt. He had lost everything, his children, his livelihood, houses, his work, everything was gone. And when we come with trite words, they fall on deaf ears, at least they did with Job. But as counselors who sat and acknowledged the death, resurrection would come. Job would say, I know my Redeemer lives. There is a day where goodness will come. But to acknowledge the pain is to acknowledge life as it is. That's what Christians do. We don't pretend. We're not in death denial. We don't put on a plastic face and a plastic smile because the world does that best. Instagram and the world all around us says, put on your best face. As a Christian, I want to say, come have a cup of coffee and let's talk real life. How you're really feeling. What's really going on. Because there in death is where compassion meets. 
Jesus looked upon the widow and had compassion. Compassion is a beautiful word. We've all now said it several times here today. But compassion, and get this, compassion is not pity. You get that, right? Pity is when you see something and it makes you sick and sorry for that person. It's the beggar asking for money and you scrounge around your pocket to give just a few coins that you might have. But something within our humanness doesn't want to associate with that. So a fleshly body says, get me away from that. I'll give something, but I don't want to identify with that. That's human and carnal. But compassion, the compassionate heart of God, steps into the pain, identifies with the pain, intertwines life with life, and says, I'm here with you and for you. That is compassion. Compassion is taking the boundary markers off and coming so close it's messy. In fact, their mess stains you. You're no longer clean because you're just right there into the muck and the mire. But compassion is a heart that says, I want to step so close, I'll take what you're enduring and I'll carry it too. That's what compassion is. That's what the Savior of the world has done with us. The God who would stoop down to take on flesh, to die, to identify with his people. See, as Christians, we know that we have been called to identify with Jesus, right? The Apostle Paul would write that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus has said that if anyone would follow after him, that we must take up our cross and follow him. It is an identification with Jesus. And as a disciple and a created being in light of the creator, yeah, that makes sense. I'll hitch my cart to his, right? Like he's better than me. Everything he's got, like I'm going with him. It's kind of like, you know, being around the presence. If you were around somebody much better than you, Playing football, I'm rubbish. But if I'm playing, I'm going to get on the team with the best players because I need them to carry the team, right? Because I'm contributing nothing. But that's what it means to be the disciple, to identify with Jesus. His death became my death. His resurrection became my resurrection. I identify with Jesus. That makes sense to me. Do you know what doesn't make sense? Why would God do that with me? Why would God enter into my death? That doesn't make sense. And we got to stop for a moment and really deal with why would God of all creation stoop down and identify with me? I've got nothing he wants. I have nothing to contribute to the Godhead. And yet compassion said that Jesus would look at her and stoop down and love her. And he's done that with me in such a way it leaves you like without answers. Why would God do that with me? Why in my worst moments would the God of creation actually sit with me? Why would he weep with me? Like he can save me from a distance. He can love me. His power. Jesus would speak and things would happen. But he also just stepped in into the ugliest, 
messiest, dirtiest, most difficult places, he would step in and identify with them. I don't understand that. I've been to theology school many years, and I don't get any of it. Why does God love me so much that he would identify with me and step into my pain? It's there in the intertwining of lives where resurrection happens. Because it was God who would stoop down. God, the giver of life, who would intertwine his spirit with ours and breathe life back into us. It is in the closeness where new life begins. We're not in death denial, we see it. We don't have pity, we have compassion. And in stepping in, in the moment of death, Holy Spirit breathes life. Where there was only darkness, light shines through. The one who spoke and created light when there was nothing has the ability to speak into our lives when we feel there's nothing left. When there's only darkness, when there's only pain, God enters in. That's what God's been doing. That is God's story. Resurrection is so beautiful, and we as Christians understand resurrection. We understand Jesus, who rose from the grave. We understand the promise of the resurrection to come. And those are anchors to our faith. But Christian, don't miss something here. God has always been a God of resurrection. It didn't originate at the cross and the empty tomb. It was fulfilled there. It was the highest. It was the best. It was the ultimate. But God has always been a God of resurrection. And we need to know that about our God. I want to draw something out from the story because it's really cool that's happening here in Luke 7. Jesus raises her son. And did you hear what the people said? They said something really interesting because if I was there, I would be like, oh my goodness, this person who was dead is now alive. And I would be screaming and running around in circles. What they said was, a prophet has come. It seems a little bit underwhelming. Why would they say a prophet has come? Because God already did that through the prophets. And Jesus and his amazing architectural, engineering, beautiful way in which he designed his own life. He fulfilled the prophecies of all that had gone before him. Because Jesus raised a widow's son in Luke chapter 7. Elijah raised a widow's son in 1 Kings 17. Elisha, Elijah's mentee, then raised a widow's son in 2 Kings chapter 4. And Jesus did it in the exact model that Elijah and Elisha did. So that when the people saw what he did, they say a prophet has come. But now track with me, why is it important that a prophet has come? What is the prophet, and what are we talking about, church? We're talking about testimony. What is the role of the prophet? To be the mouthpiece for God. 
to declare the glories of God to all who will listen. That's what the prophets did. They pointed the world to Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? The creator of the heavens and the earth and the God of resurrection. He's always been the God of resurrection. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve would sin. And God would say, the day you eat from the fruit of the tree, you will die. They ate. And what did God do? Sacrificed and gave them new clothes and new life. Joseph was thrown into the pit, doomed to die by his brothers, betrayed by all that he knew. Everything was lost, and Joseph was saved, given to Potiphar, raised to exaltation in Egypt, to have new life again. Israel would be sold to slavery in Egypt, only to escape only to run up against the Red Sea and all was lost. And what would God do? Split the Red Sea. Israel's armies under a new king. They now have a king. All things are good. Goliath the giant comes and all is lost. Until David, the messianic king, would raise Israel back from the dead. And highest for the tribe of Israel would be sold off into captivity in Babylon, dead as a nation. All was gone. The promised people of God were sold off only to never be heard from again, except for God. God would raise Israel back from captivity to make a nation, to make his people. And then, the highest of heights, the Savior would be crucified buried in a tomb. The devil had won. All was lost until Jesus would raise from the dead. It is the story of our faith that as we see and understand who God is, it becomes our testimony of not only what we have experienced, but we become prophets. You are Elijah. You are Elisha. You are pointing to Yahweh, saying he is a resurrecting God. He's done it in me, and he'll do it in you. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. God is a resurrecting God. It's who he is at his core. When all is lost, it can't be done. God is the God of the comeback. God will always do a new thing. When all has been broken and all has been lost, when there seems like as if there's no hope left, it's God. He can't do anything else. He is a God of new starts and new beginnings, new hope and love that enters the worst of places. When we feel like we are the least deserving, it is God, the resurrecting God, the Savior, the King, who enters in and draws near to the brokenhearted and rebuilds life. When all was lost, God. It's who God is. It's who he's always been. It's who he's wanted to be for all the nations to know. It was the testimony of Israel with the purpose, go and tell the world. Be a kingdom of priests. Be a nation 
who transforms the world with the testimony of your lips, God will save. God will rise from the, raise from the dead, bring life where there was death. Where there is despair, God will bring hope. It's been our testimony from the very beginning. It will be our testimony to the very end. God will always do a new thing. The Bible is a book marked by two gardens. A garden at the start where Adam and Eve would fall and a garden in the end and a new heavens and a new earth with a new garden and a new city and a redemption that has taken place and will take place forever and ever and ever, amen. It's the hope we have as Christians. It's the God that we know. When we have our moments, and believe it, Christian, you will have your moment. You will have your times to share your story. And we are lost for words of what can we say to a world that we know is lost, we know is desperate. And then we get confounded and confused of what should I say in this moment? I was dead and now I'm alive. Jesus was buried and raised again. I don't have much else for you. But God is a God of hope. God is a God of resurrection. God is a God for you. That's our testimony. God is good. The gospel is good. It's a gossip-filled story that will fill the ends of the world that God will always have a new life for that which is dead. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and then we're gonna finish as we worship here. But church, I want us to spend a moment in prayer contemplating how do we know the God who saves? How do we know the God who raises from the dead? Where do we see that testimony in our life? Can we identify the places where the Savior of the world has reached in in compassion and sat with you in your lowest of moments, intertwining life for life, breath where there was no breath, light where there was only darkness? And allow that to build within you a testimony and a joy and a song. The song of the Christian has always been a song of declaring new life. We were laughing earlier, talking about birthdays. But birthdays celebrate life. Life is worth celebrating. Where resurrection has come, it's worthy of a song. It's worthy of all that we have. And then when it captivates our mind that this is what God has not only done for me, but he's done for all. And as we sing it, look around the room and understand that the people sitting next to you, they too have felt the touch and the hand of God. They too have felt the Savior resurrect a life. Look at someone else sing with joy in their heart and allow that to transmit into your life. The gospel gospel that spreads from person to person. The smile that he has redeemed me will spread from me to you and you to the next. And then imagine the world that's out, that's desperate for the story of good news.
that it's never the end, that failure is not fatal, that life can be redeemed and restored, and that not only is the Savior willing, he's wanting. That's who he is. That's what he does. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's who he is at his core. So let's sing to the Savior, the resurrection and the life.